Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. All right, today I have on my brother, Danny Vega. He is super, super popular in the keto and carnivore space. If you don't know him, uh, lots of great information over at his Instagram handle. He also is the author of the Fat Fueled Family podcast with his wife, Maura. Uh, they interview a lot of great experts over there on his show. But what I really wanted to have him on to talk about was parenting. He has this really non-traditional way and style of parenting that he's done a lot of research on and he loves to talk about. And with Cole and I gearing up to start trying to have children over the next year or so, um, I thought it was really, really important to uh, pick his brain a little bit about all things like unschooling and Montessori education and how nutrition plays a role with his family dynamic. And then we even touched a little bit about his Christian faith and how spirituality comes into play within the family dynamic as well. So I really think this is a jam-packed episode. Danny really is a wealth of knowledge, so you guys enjoy. Danny Vega, what's up, brother? Welcome to the show. What's up, bro? Great to be with you, man. Yeah, it's. Um, 
I knew I had to have you on when I was starting up season two. And uh, we've been bouncing a lot of random ideas and things off of each other for a minute now. And we have a lot of uh, similar principles, especially in, in life, I think. Um, nutrition, some some of the, a lot of the main things as well. And so I figured why not have you on for a show. And for anyone who's not listening, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got established in the health and fitness space? And I've always been obsessed with performance, um, obviously nutrition. When I was younger, it started with like just bodybuilding, you know, just like how do these people put on this type of muscle? And then as I got older, like probably like middle school, high school, I really started to see the benefits of like, you know, lifting and, and sprinting and, and speed development and all that for football. And, you know, high school was just obsessive in the weight room. Um, and I think that was definitely helped me when it, at least when it came to like my skill on the football field and then uh, played college football. And then um, in once I got to college, my, my strength coach was like, I loved him. Like, I remember the first time I saw him walking into when I was walking into the weight room, he was like, um, uh, you know, Olympic basically level hammer thrower for Virginia. And, um, and he was doing hanging leg raises and his freaking abs were just ridiculous, you know, like, and so in, immediately um, we had like a really good relationship. And then he left me my sophomore year after my sophomore year to go to UNC um, to be the head strength coach for their basketball team. Did that for a few years and went to the Timberwolves. And, um, and we always kept in touch. In fact, I spoke to him this week because he um, was listening to a podcast that I was just on. And it's funny because I mentioned him a lot, you know, um, and he's like, man, you're still talking about me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I when I graduated, um, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I actually knew what I wanted to do in college. But at Columbia University, it, it's a, a liberal arts school. So I, I, my only two options for science majors were chemistry and biology. And I just didn't want to do that. So I did all my prerequisites that I needed. And um, I got into the, the Masters of Human Performance program at UF, which was literally just starting. And it was one of two at the time, probably more now, but it was one of only two UF and Texas um, non-research-based master's programs that were geared towards people who wanted to go into athletic training or strength and conditioning. So we had all of the, the scientific stuff, like we had Cadaver Lab and we had all the, the principal stuff, but then we had like hands-on stuff, program development, you know, um, and all that. And then worked with um, University of Florida football for the first eight months of my um, master's um, and then got promoted to the basketball facility and started working with basketball, started designing the programs for men's and women's golf and men's and women's tennis. And then we won the national championship and it was perfect timing. Um, our assistant head coach got the, the head coaching job at BCU and he brought me over as his strength and conditioning coach. And, and that was basically how I started my career, you know, in strength and conditioning. And, um, you know, after a few years of doing that, it was just like I wasn't making the money I wanted. And, you know, it was definitely like like Coach Grant, my, the, the head coach, my boss. He's like, you know, this is a way of life. And it really was. It was like, you know, with the team on Thanksgiving, with the team traveling like 200 something days a year. And so I got out of that, got back home. Um, and people were like, you, you should do pharmaceutical sales. So I did pharmaceutical sales for like three mm -hmm. years. And, um, and then I got out of that and moved to medical device. And obviously this whole time I'm obsessed with, you know, always finding new ways to compete. So I did CrossFit for a few years and then I got into powerlifting and that's where I really 
just that was like my home, you know, like just pursuing the, the highest total possible. And I did well with that. And then in 2016, I I had a bad injury on my meniscus and I pulled out of a meet and I, I basically dieted for four months. My buddy, um, Tucker, he wrote me um, uh, a bodybuilding like diet and, you know, got really ripped. And, you know, but I just like I felt like crap. You know, I was binging on, on my cheat days. It became cheat weekends. And the keto thing, my buddy Trevor was telling me about it because he was in grad school with Dr. Jacob Wilson and, and Ryan Lowry here and here in um, Tampa. And I just thought it was the most insane thing I had ever heard of. And um, I figured what the heck, you know, I, I was already super lean. And man, it just like, it reignited my passion for nutrition, because I had already, you know, um, followed at the time, probably since 2003, like precision nutrition, you know, um, John Berardi, I really liked his stuff. And um, but keto was totally different. And and I just had um, just a an overall change in so many ways, you know, my my joints felt better, my brain felt better, my my productivity was higher. And um, like I always do, I just get obsessed. And I start, you know, networking with people. And I met some people and I started the ketogenic athlete podcast with Brian Williamson. And yeah, like two, two years later, uh, I, I just was like, man, maybe I should do this, you know, as my main gig, because I started to coach again, I started to do um, I had done online coaching as a power lifter, just just for fun. Um, and yeah, so 2018, we started Fatfield Family. Um, and, you know, that was the podcast. That's our LLC and started public speaking, started, you know, writing programs, doing online coaching, um, you know, doing uh, consulting. That was a weird one like that just kind of came out of nowhere, like companies hiring me to either help them with formulations or help them with influencer marketing and recruiting other influencers. And here we are now, man, like my, my, my basic um, focus is two twofold, ma mainly performance, of course, and, and not just like physical performance, but, you know, mental and, and brain health and brain performance. And then also, you know, how to get families to eat healthier, you know, because a lot of families are, are, there's that gap between, you know, parents are starting to get healthy and then they, they realize, oh, crap, I got to feed my kids. So that's that's basically, you know, my long um, if for, for anybody who doesn't know you know what I do. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that background. And if people want to dive into your um, <clears throat> Instagram or any of your podcasts, you mean you can talk about nutrition till, till someone's blue in the face. So that's why <laughs> uh, I was like, if, if I'll just let the audience know, I'll tag. Um, his website and everything at the end of the show notes. And you guys can go over there and check out all of his uh, ideas on supplementation and nutrition and everything. But you have this uh, very, I think I've listened to some of your podcasts before and know you as a person. And I, I know you take your uh, parenting and your family very seriously as well. So I thought it would be good to kind of switch, switch it up and kind of talk about a lot of parenting stuff in this podcast with you. And so I, I do want to, yeah, I know. I know you love it. And, I, and I'm planning on starting. Uh, Cole and I are probably going to start trying to get pregnant within the next maybe like six, eight months. So in the next year and a half, I'll probably have one of my own, I'd imagine. So definitely trying to talk to some more people about <laughs> get 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 a little bit love of knowledge it. before it happens. And so I want to actually ask you, um, like, how was your childhood growing up as far as like what kind of parenting style you received from your parents? And, um, you know, have you incorporated any type of that parenting style in the way you parent? Yeah, I like that. That's a unique question because I don't think anybody's asked me that as far as like how I was raised. So 
Um, you know, when I was raised in a Cuban home, you know, very kind of traditional. Um, first 10 years were kind of rough because my dad was an addict and, um, you know, he had a temper. And so that kind of bled into who I was. And, you know, that made me kind of violent. Um, they, they couldn't find an outlet for me. You know, they put me in tennis. I don't know why they put me in tennis. And then, like, I was knocking the balls out of the out of the whole court. And then finally they put me into football. And and that I really loved that. Um, I had a lot, a lot of issues dealing with those early years. We didn't have money, you know, and all that. My dad was, you know, definitely had a had a temper. <laughs> Um, and so there were certain things that he did that, that I don't do, but looking back, um, you know, there's definitely lessons that I can take from that. What I, what I loved about, you know, how I was raised was number one, there was no, no room for excuses. It was always keeping me accountable and no room for, um, just not getting it done. And then my dad was always there for for me when it came to anything doing with sports, anything dealing with travel, they supported me in everything that I did. And somehow they always had enough money to get me to football camps, get me to all that, all that stuff. And then, um, so yeah, and the other interesting thing is that I had a lot of freedom, which I, which I love, you know, I had, I had a lot of freedom as far as you know, what I can do. I had a lot of responsibility, but I also had a lot of freedom, which I think led to leaving the house at 18, you know, as a Cuban kid, you know, I, I can't tell you how many Cuban kids like that were good at sports that got scholarships in places and they, they couldn't, they couldn't stay away from home. It was really weird. They just, it's like, they don't, they can't, they can't leave their home. And a lot of them would come back. Um, but I was really independent for that reason. Like I, w I left to college and went to New York when I was 18 and um, went to grad school in Gainesville and then worked in Virginia. And I could already tell that that was definitely different than most of the people that I know. But it was because my parents, my especially my dad, he believed in me more than I believed in myself. My whole life he's been that way. You know, he's been like, he, he, he basically raised me in a way that was like, it's a given that you're going to succeed. Of course you're going to succeed. He's like, what are you talking about, Papi? Of course, you know, like, that's just my dad, you know, like, and, and I'd be like, well, how do you know? Like, like, you know, I just was like, man, he has this skewed view. And it's, and, you know, it's interesting that even up until recently, I still, you know, have that issue with like believing in myself. You know what I mean? But my dad has always believed in me and expected the best for me. Um, and that is something that I'm definitely have taken on, you know, with my kids. Now, I've changed a few things, but, and we can get into that, but, but for the most part, like, I can't, I only have good things to say about how my parents raised me. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think um, <clears throat> the way that we're going to talk about some stuff today is, is a little bit newer age anyways. What, what it sounds like your parents were doing were, were basically just like middle to lower class type of people just getting the job done. And, um, I, I had no father. He was drug addict, alcoholic, so never around. And, um, my mom took care of me, my brother and my two older cousins. Uh, so it was wow. pretty wild, but kind of how you said, she always like, she was bartending and doing whatever. And she always had money to put us into football, into basketball, whatever we needed, like the stuff we never went without somehow, some way. I don't know if she was credit card 
Dude, I don't really looking back. I don't even know how she pulled it off. She fed us. She got us everywhere. I really don't even know how she did it. And um, also with that, I had a lot of freedom as well. Probably too much freedom to kind of run around and do stupid shit. And uh, my mom, <clears throat> she always really believed in me too. Um, she wasn't as verbal maybe as your dad, but I felt like she did believe in me and allowed me to do whatever I wanted. And I do think actually now you kind of sparked my interest in that. Like that is like, maybe why I'm such like a free person as an adult, like don't really like to get tied down to things and really kind of like pave you know, trailblazer type of personality. And um, that's interesting uh, concept there, but it, it might relate to me as well. Now that you say that, 100%. because I never really had a bunch of rules as a young kid, as long as I just didn't really fuck up too bad. I kind of, you know, I could kind of go do what I want because my mom kind of trusted in me. And uh, maybe that freedom led to a little too much partying and, you know, alcohol and drugs and stuff. But also it it does, I think, make me a little bit of a free bird. So that's definitely an interesting um, idea for that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's in direct contrast with everything in modern parenting where they they want the best for their child, but they don't see how their, their constant meddling and trying to keep them safe, keep them away from failure, keep them away from making bad decisions. When in reality, like I, I talked about this recently, as as hard as I try and as much as I want for my son to learn these life lessons without the struggle and without the, the stumbling, um, it's going to have to take it a lot of the time. Like, you know, we learn through pain. That's that's just a typical that's an axiom, you know, and um, and like if you start allowing them to learn through pain younger, the mistakes are smaller and less expensive. And um, those lessons may be incremental where like they have to fall in the same bad decision a few times in different situations and they may get a little bit more and more, they may escalate a little bit more, but it, I think it's better to do it that way than to just basically do what like the school system does, which is basically like, you know, you one day you're, you're asking for permission to relieve yourself in the bathroom and then the next day you have to figure out what you're going to do with your life. You can go die for your country. You know, like it, it doesn't even make sense. You know what I mean? So that's a that's a big thing. And and um, and then also just I want to just one thing, a contrast, one more thing. My parents came from the generation where, you know, going to school, going to college differentiated you and going to master's degree was like a big deal. And um, I've definitely veered away from that because uh as you know like modern day college and you know just academia in general is just a massive racket it's this revolving door between the government and these colleges where they're just exchanging massive amounts of money tuition continues to go up the value that you get out of a piece of paper is is nowhere near the investment that you put in and a lot of this is you know the the tuitions don't come down they just keep lending more money they've realized that we can create better slaves um even before they you know get out into the world and and believe that they have to like get you know credit cards so now you got kids that are basically enslaved from the day one because if you don't have a, a a subsidized uh loan for college a lot of those you know the subsidized loans the the interest doesn't even build until you graduate but these unsubsidized loans, which most people aren't even, they don't even have the financial literacy to know about that. By the time they have college, 
the amount of money that they've been lent has built interest and that's compounded and that's even before they go into the world so like you're automatically if you're someone like me which i grew up and i didn't have anything coming into the world like i didn't have an, a bank account i didn't have you know a trust fund anything i didn't have anything i just had debt and um you know even for the kids that their parents are doing the right thing and they, they have money saved away for their kids like a lot of that money is going to be used instead of being able to like buy your first house or or you know use that money wisely you're immediately a debt slave so that is something that with my kids i'm definitely not doing um even even in 2022 when things are so hard um and much harder economically and and it's they they really are trying to squash us down in so many different levels it's still possible to start a business and to be your own to basically you know kind of decide that your future yeah, that's amazing. And I and I, I believe the same thing. I was raised, um, you know, no one in my family that I knew of had a college degree. My one cousin had went and uh, she kind of ended up dropping out like last semester. But she was like, you know, only a couple years older than me. So we were like the first generation of people who were thinking, hey, let's go get this college degree. We'll kind of change our, you know, how our families work and all these dead end jobs. And then I never even used that piece of paper. Honestly, it was pretty crazy. It was like they weren't paying enough money. I was going to need to go back to law school because I had like a pre-law degree with like a psychology and sociology minor. And I just was like, they're not paying enough for, for me for this bachelor's degree, not for all this debt that I have. I need to make more money. And so yeah. it was very eye-opening for sure. But um, since we're on the topic of education, why don't you explain how you've kind of transitioned and how you educate your children. Um, I know it's changed over time uh, following you a bit, but why don't you kind of share the evolution of how you've been uh, educating your kids? Yeah, man, like, you know, obviously our uh, political beliefs and our beliefs on education kind of go hand in hand because education is, is such a huge tool for um, control. You know, like if, if you can, like, who was it? I think it was... Um, uh, oh my gosh, Lenin. Yeah. Lenin said, you know, give me like six years with a kid and, and I'll basically have them, I'll create, you know, drones, people that will follow them. But we, we give our kids what, 14 years. So, um, and now they, it's, it can be even earlier because parents have this idea that they have to, everybody has to go to work. Dad and mom both got to go to work because they got to, they can't afford any other way. They don't think about making that lifestyle decision that, that education is important. And so no, automatically they, parents buy into this whole compulsory education thing because it's basically a glorified daycare. And so, um, you know, if you are like myself and my wife that we kind of did this research on education before my first one was even born because he was going to go to pharmacy school. That was her idea because her cousin's a pharmacist and she, she thought she liked it. And, but at the time she was working for a law firm and, um, and then we're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, she's like, I'm going to go back to work. You know, what are we going to do for as far as like, you know, um, a daycare center and things like that. And we started to see how much it costed. And it was like, we're basically paying for the daycare by, by her going to work, you know, like there, there wasn't much more that after that was left after that. And so it was like, why doesn't she just stay home? And then luckily, you know how Maura and I are, we're together. We, we, 
look into things together and we, we share and we, we're very passionate. And we started to find like one of the first things we found was was Anna, our friend Anna, the libertarian homeschooler. And she was just I sharing. love her page. She's awesome, man. Like she's amazing. Like the last couple of years, ever since the and you know, she, we we talk a lot. Like we we get to hang out like twice a year, every single year. She they're they're in the uh, in Georgia, and they they come down here to, to vacation, and so we get to see them twice a year. And um, you know, we started looking at her. She would just post conversations with their sons, you know, like like very Socratic method, asking them questions. Um, very Montessorian in her approach and, and Maria Montessori, like that's, that's one resource right off the bat that I would recommend. He had, uh, as close as you would get to what I would say is, is the best view of education, which is that, you know, it should, a lot of it should be led by the child because the child, um, is naturally curious, naturally inquisitive. And all you have to do is kind of, it's a lot of work, you know, because you have to, observe the child even from an early age and start trying to introduce as many different things as possible you know different subjects different um just areas of interest and and see how they do in these areas and and not having like trying to divorce yourself they always say that like when with unschooling which is what we do they say that you got to unschool yourself first you know parents have to unschool ourselves and it's true because parents are Everything is outcome based. You know, we're like, okay, so he he likes this, so he must be an engineer. Or you know, it's like, hold on, hold on, let's just just let's just see who this person is. Let them find out who they are, what they love. You know, like if you ask most kids in high school that go that have been through the public school system, or even any school system in in reality, because like private school for the most part is not changing the style of education. It's just giving them. Uh, a more sheltered environment for the most part, unless it's a rich school, which in which case there could be even crazier things uh, and more access to, to, to more crap than you see in public schools. But in general, if you ask a, a senior in high school, like, who are you and what do you love? You know, like they a lot of them won't be able to answer it, you know, and and that's really important for us. That's always been important for us. So. So our approach is like as close as you can get to unschooling and like even with unschooling, there's kind of like a, a spectrum of how much that goes. But in general, unschooling is a bad term because it kind of it it defines what we don't do. And what we don't do, if you just say homeschool, the implication is that you're replicating school in the home. And so, you know, you, you just envision a parent or parents, you know, sitting down at the dining table, like with their kids doing homework and going through books. And that is definitely a part of, of what unschooling parents do. But, you know, unschooling, it, it's basically saying that life is education. You know, there's so many things like like learning counting by going to the grocery store and, and, and asking your child, you know, like, how much change do you think I need? And and just like every opportunity is a learning opportunity and so like that's kind of what we we started with you know there's theory and there's practice and that goes the same thing with our with our parenting and um we knew what we didn't want and so we believed that there were going to be certain things that we would do and we were we were unrealistic in some of those areas but then a lot of those areas have benefited um so where we are now is we we still believe in in unschooling but 
are the person who owns the the place where we take our children, which is called Irving Cottage. It's like this little schoolhouse where, you know, it was only five kids at a time, very Montessorian, you know, they manage the environment. And, um, you know, my, my oldest does forest school three days a week. So he's learning all types of outdoor um, things that, you know, practical skills. And, but she is a person who believes in homeschool and believes in, in education freedom, but also has a very in-depth knowledge in pedagogy and, and how people learn different learning styles. And the homeschooling parent can do that, absolutely. But it's a big investment and they have to learn a lot. You know, I, I used to be much more dismissive and say, like, anybody can do homeschooling. And I want to be more realistic nowadays and say, look, anybody can do homeschooling if they are willing to put in the work, you know, because, you know, you don't need a degree and, and that, you know, just to you don't need to be a teacher to understand. But you, you do need to be educated in in. in how children learn, how humans learn, developmental stages, what's normal. Um, because again, with the modern schooling method, it's like, you know, we have all these, you know, completely arbitrary benchmarks that it's like they need to be doing this by this age and this by this age. And an, uh, another thing about homeschooling is that it allows you the flexibility where, you know, my son, my oldest is super when it comes to writing and his vocabulary is very at uh, the high end, but then math, he's, he's behind in certain areas. And my youngest and both of them actually started reading late, you know, homeschoolers tend to read later. So you have to be able to like be realistic as far as don't be married to outcome all the, all the time, but at the same time, understand that these things have to get learned. There's certain things, you know, like, so like spending 70 to 80% of the time in that sweet spot, those areas where they love and they just really, you know, light their fire, you know, and then you got to, you know, be disciplined and spend that other 20% in these other areas where, okay, we need to continue to introduce math concepts and, and things like that. And honestly, man, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. It starts, I just want to say to anybody who's who's thinking about homeschooling now more than ever, like homeschooling is growing like insanely. Uh, it, it was growing like 10% a year until 2020. It was just ridiculous. And, um, and so th the first thing you need to do is educate yourself, unschool yourself as a parent and conquer the most important thing, which is fear. Um, fear that your child is, 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 is not going to make it because that's how, that is a massive control mechanism to basically say your child is not going to be ready. Um, you know, you're not going to make it. They're, they're not going to make it. And you, you got to get over that. And then you got to also be educated enough to to defend yourself, because if not, your family and the people around you are going to beat you down. And that is going to just completely demoralize you and make you second guess. And then before you know it, people are, you know, Ah, this is too complicated for me. I'll trust the experts, which is what most people do nowadays, you know? Absolutely. And I, I do think that that's probably the hardest part is like, cause I, I see all of these like parents with their new kids and the kids gotta be saying this many words by the time they're two and walking by the time my baby can age. read. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't really know if every single person that's ever been born on this earth developed at this strategic time. Like, I don't think that that's really 
And my uh, actually, my sister-in-law, she's really great. I bought her. Um, I don't know if she read it all, but I bought her that book kind of unschooling to university, which kind of um, like talks about unschooling, but also how to like prepare your kid for college or whatever. And I haven't read it all, but uh, I bought it for her. And I think she's going to send her kids to school, but she is still very like open to like these ideas where like, you know, like like because um, my wife's mother, their, you know, their mom will try to. Well, he, Javi, maybe he should go to speech class and maybe he should do this. And she's <laughs> like, dude, he's fine. He's literally like, yeah. he's going to develop. He's literally fine. And so I do actually, I'm glad that we've, we've kind of rubbed off on her sister a little bit because she's got two little ones and telling her like, it's going to be okay. And it's a little bit of nutrition stuff. She's not like us, but still got to meet a lot of red meat and different things and awesome. working on, on them. But, um, I want to kind of circle back around to this uh, school. So you were unschooling, everything was at home, and now you're there over at Urban Cottage. And is that just like one thing I have kind of like researched about school is like kids' brains need to like sleep in a little bit longer. So is this like shorter time periods that they're at Urban Cottage? And then let's dive into a little bit more of the stuff that they learn over there. Yeah, like, you know, look, like school, it's, you know, they're going to tell you that, that they need this amount of time to to learn, you know, spend six hours every single day or or, or more. Um, but it's it's not that, you know, it's 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 in reality most of the time it's it, it goes in line with the modern workday. You know, that that is really the main reason why these these things are like this. And obviously um, if you get into the history of education going back to like you know, the early 1900s, I think 1913, right around the same time as the, you know, Federal Reserve was built, um, you know, all of these, the, the big titans, you know, like they had the general education board and they had a, a big influx of people coming in from Europe, all over the world, uh, immigrants, they weren't educated, they weren't, um, they didn't speak a lot of English and they had to find a way to integrate these people quickly and, you know, produce more workers. And that is really what the modern school system does you know compulsory education which is just education that's that's you know required or or if not you you know you you have someone come to your house and you know your kids the the truancy people like they're going to say that you're gonna you're gonna get charges of of truancy um it's it's really just this like factory system and so um we see that homeschooled kids they they don't spend nearly as much time and so Urban Cottage is basically, um, I think, like on Monday through Thursday, my boys are there from 930 to, um, on average, Dean, my youngest, my eight-year-old, is going from like 930 to about um, 12 p.m. And it's not like classes. Like they, it's a lot of free time. They're, they're inside and outside. And then Desmond, you know, they a few days a week they're staying till four, but it's because they're there he's at forest school. And so I mean, like Desmond tells me the things that they do, like they they're basically making forts and they're you know, they're they, they have their own the boys have their own area in this in this forest school where they like they made this like little bamboo hut and they're like doing all types of stuff in there and lots of experimentation, lots of lots of free play. You know, um, you know, my kids, we, we kind of, they're biased, you know, because like, and I, and I tell them when I speak to kids that go to school, like, you gotta be careful, man. You gotta be careful how you talk to others, you know, because like, they think it's insane that, that people have to ask to go to the bathroom, you know, like they have to ask permission 
to, to, you know, to do their biological needs. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so that's a, that's from the very beginning, it, we, the, the beauty of homeschool is, you know, working with the child, like the minute you start to make learning not fun, um, you're going to start fighting an uphill battle. And that's, in school, it's like, well, you have to learn this, you know, and there's no questioning of like, why do I have to learn this? How is this going to serve me when in homeschool, you know, if you're doing it right, like your, your child is like, you know, the minute that they start struggling we just say, let's come back to that later. You know, like, a, 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 like I had a buddy who, um, really smart guy, PhD science guy. And he remembers having a period where like in middle school, he was struggling with math. And like, if he would have just put that off and come back maybe like a year later or come back six months later when his brain was more, a little bit more developed. Like you mentioned earlier, like wh why do things have to be this age or that age? Like, you know, kids start walking as early as eight months and sometimes after 15 months. And then by the time they're two years old, they all walk the same, you know? So why are we so obsessed with getting them to walk earlier or read earlier? Um, and, and that's the beauty of homeschool, like having that ability to, um, go faster in areas where you can go faster or slow down and, and take breaks when, when you have to do that. Because, you know, the, the, the idea of school in general, and English is like the biggest witchcraft language ever. Like there's no more witchcraft in any language than, than English because all the words, they, they have these ridiculous meanings. Like when you think of I'm going to go to school, you're thinking like a, a school of fish. And that school has to go together the whole time, you know, forget about the ones that are in the back that are struggling or the ones that want to go faster. We got to keep them all together. And, and it's this idea that Anna, a libertarian homeschooler, has talked about, which is like the Procrustean shoe. It's basically this shoe that was given to people. And if your foot was too small, we stretched your foot out and your foot was too big. We bound that foot and try to fit it into that shoe. It's that one size fits all. So, you know, having um the the goal with this is trying to keep that natural love of learning that natural curiosity keep that alive as much as possible because you're going to learn so much better and you're going to do what what we should be doing which is be a life learner you know my my kids teach themselves how to do things and so like what i found is that homeschool really does um, help them learn how to learn. And, you know, instead of always relying on, on the expert to, to put the knowledge into your head, um, you, you start to learn. And, and I remember when he was younger and tried to learn things, it was really frustrating for him, but it was like the, getting those reps in. Now he just knows that if he applies himself, whatever it is that he wants to learn, he's going to learn it. That's amazing. And it's also like, what you're trying to teach him is like, seems like more what they're curious about or what they're interested in, or, you know, a little bit on the back end with the math and the science. So they're up to par if they need to be, instead of like going to school and like learning about Christopher Columbus day or whatever, <laughs> yeah. all, like, or whatever the hell. All of it like, is subjective too. It's all subjective stuff that, that, that like, what if like, wait, this guy discovered America? Like, Let's talk, let's read the other opinions like, oh, wait a second. There were people here thousands of years before he even got here, you know? Yeah, it's super interesting. And also, I don't think like the curriculum changes fast enough as far as how we're changing in regular society. 
with technology. You see all these AI stuff coming out, like whatever they're learning in school right now will be ops. It won't even matter when, by the time they're graduated in 20 years, like the world is going to be yeah. so different. So I'm like, why would I want to sit and sit my kids in this place where at least if I can keep my finger on the pulse of like what's next or what, what they need to be doing with technology or how to run a business online or whatever it may be, I can at least introduce them to that at home. And like you said, I, I really do think school's a lot of fluff. Like I, I was there for eight yeah. hours a day. We didn't learn for eight hours a day. I was no taking way. naps. We were watching movies. Like, you know, you'd have a uh, you'd have a substitute teacher and they wouldn't know what the hell was going on. So you'd do yeah. nothing for that hour. And it was just like, I don't like you could learn all of that in three or four hours. And that's probably why the urban cottage stuff's cool. And um, also, I think you explained that there's like different ages at urban cottage. Right. And so that that oh. dynamic helps as well. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's another. I'm glad you brought that up, because like age segregation is another thing that it nowhere in society are we segregated by age other than school like you know in the workplace you got people that are older people that are younger and like in school despite education despite you know you know public education you're still going to learn those life lessons that 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 you learn in life dealing with people but they're going to be different because like you know if you are only getting your social cues especially in the earlier ages from people your age you tend to it, it enforces click behavior you know like that tribal behavior where it's like now you have to behave a certain way to to fit in whereas like having putting children in, in a, an environment that's more kind of closer to the environment that we live in where we have older people and younger people it's really cool because my youngest is benefiting from the be watching the behaviors and not only the behaviors but how my oldest learns and how like when they work on, they do, it's called doing works. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing this work. I'm doing that work, whatever the work is. Like they ask them, you know, what is the work that you're going to do today? And, and, and things like that. So the child has that, that input. Um, and then they have someone to keep them accountable. So, you know, teachers are really more facilitators than, 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 you know, instructors. And that is a more like, we get this modern view from it's very Greek, you know, it's, it's the whole, the whole Hellenized world started to, to, to do that education where it's like, you know, you got someone in the front of the class telling everybody what to do. Um, but like the older kids, they are like in more of a leadership position, mentoring position. And then um, as they move through, the younger kids become the older kids and, and, and the younger kids benefit from the older kids and the older kids benefit from the younger kids. And that to me is, is just a really, it's beneficial socially. And it's beneficial for the for their developing brains on how they learn. Yeah, um, I actually my brother was like seven years older than me. And then my cousins that my mom took care of were a little bit older than them. So I I felt like I was so much more mature than like everyone in school pretty yeah. much always. And I never really like even knew why that was. I just thought people were kind of like childish. But I'm like, when I look back <laughs> yeah. on it, I'm like, oh, it's because like my older brothers and my older cousins would slap me around, like quit being an idiot and like kind of basically yeah. make you grow up a little bit faster, you know, beat on you a little yeah. bit, a little tough love. But it, it did help me to mature, I think, a little bit uh, wiser and ahead of my years for sure. Um, cool. So that, I think the, the school's awesome. I'm going to uh, definitely look into Urban Cottage if we stay around the Tampa area and then my kids start to get older. I think it might be a good fit for sure. Absolutely. Um, let's dive into some of the stuff you might do uh, when you're at home. 
do you have any type of like, uh, you know, incentives, like allowance or something, they earn some money as far as doing like chores or doing like a uh, book reports or something that's like, kind of gives them responsibility or gives them like uh, some incentive to learn? Yeah, definitely like um, Desmond, especially now that he's getting older, well, he's always been this way. Um, but, you know, if they, if they want, like, as far as allowance goes, we don't have an actual allowance that we don't do because just, it just, for us, I like the idea of, you know, the benefit of an, of an allowance is it allows them to learn how to manage money. But I think it's even better to include the lesson of like, where does money come from? It comes from labor, you know, like you have to add value somehow in this world to get money. It just doesn't come out of anywhere. And so um, we, with Desmond, we started that from an early age and of course with Dean as well. Um, and, and so nowadays he, like it helps me a ton if he does my dishes. You know, and so if he's now in the last, he basically proposed this to us um, in the last like three weeks at night, he does the dishes. And if he does the dishes every night of the week, I'll give him 10 bucks. And and that's like a big deal for him having 10 bucks. We, we started a Venmo account for him and he started to have it in there. And then somehow Venmo found out and they freaking locked us out. So I got to talk to Venmo because <laughs> um, you can't have a Venmo under the age of 18 or something. So. Um, but yeah, like as, <clears throat> as far as what they have to do, they've, they've like every child, you know, I, I don't want to say that my kids are unique, but I do feel like it's a pain in the butt. Like I, um, they don't, they're still learning how to, um, take care of their stuff, keep their room clean. You know, they have a hard time finding things cause they don't put things away in the, in the same place all the time. And, you know, over time like they've they've wanted allowances they've wanted to get paid for things i'm like listen you're not even at the level where you can get paid for anything because you're not doing the bare minimum like until you can do the bare minimum then we can talk about the extra stuff that you can do to make money but you're not going to not do the the things that you have to do and and then do extra things that that don't help me and don't help you um and they just you're just making money so like in general like the the um in in the morning, like, you know, the three B's, you know, eat your breakfast, brush your teeth and make your bed. Um, the making the bed one, that's a that's one that that they have a hard time doing every day. Um, and then the same thing like they have they 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 just don't have um, a routine. It's getting better, but they don't have like that. I use something, I put it away type of deal. They'll, they'll use something and then they'll leave it there and then they'll go do something else and then they'll leave it there. And so that is something that is ongoing that we continue to work on. And um, we, we try for the most part to keep our punishment as, as, you know, real, uh, as real as possible, like real world consequences. Um, and so I've been, the, the, the debater side of me <laughs> has been able to, to justify like grounding them and um keeping them from you know the things that they like to do you know if they want to watch tv or if they want to be on the computer or something like that and definitely if they want to play outside because they don't take care of their stuff and like if you're not taking care of your stuff like you're and so we've had times where we've just automatically the default is you're grounded you know like like we're just at like weeks at a time and i'm just like until you get this right you're grounded 
And until I can see, because it, it becomes this cycle of clean everything up, you know, I lose my crap, Mauro loses her crap, clean everything up, and then, you know, we go on with these bad habits where things accumulate again, I blow up again, clean up your crap, you're grounded. And so um, that's an ongoing thing. Like, there's definitely, they know that if they want to, um, if they want to have money to buy themselves the stuff that we're not going to buy them as far as like junk food, you know, like they want to get themselves some candy or they want to, you know, get things that we'll never buy, they will go out and, you know, do a lemonade stand or, or something like that. Like, so they'll, they got this, like this system, like they'll set up like in the front of the neighborhood and, um, and, you know, they'll put the table there and Dean will be like at the table, you know, selling it and Desmond will go door to door you know, asking people if they want lemonade and, and <laughs> but dude, they'll make like 20 bucks in like in an hour or two. And, and then they'll just, they'll, they'll walk themselves to, to Walmart and they'll come back home with like a bag full of candy and crap like that. So, um, as far as allowances go, we don't do that, but we definitely give them opportunities to make money. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, that's the best way to do it. And I heard you talk about how you kind of just spoke about it. Because, you know, your nutrition and the way you guys eat, obviously, you're not going to have that type of stuff in the house. So why don't we dive into that uh, aspect a little bit as far as how you do nutrition and then how you allow them to kind of still be children a little bit with the money that they make on the side. Yeah. So like, you know, kids, again, like at first it was like, you know, let them eat what they want to eat when they're younger um, with well, actually that that wasn't really that way. That was only for like a year or two when I did powerlifting and we were just kind of um we've always we started them right off the bat um they 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 were breastfed both of them um for at least a year and a half dean two or two and a half years and both of them their first foods were you know raw liver and and soft boiled egg yolks and then we went on to like ground beef and and things like that baby led weaning um no pureeing of food and um no introduction of anything like you know cereals or um you know formula or anything like that and so we have like in our house the kids don't know what they don't know and so like we have to teach them about why these things are not food um i don't care if jimmy eats them like you know that's a big thing like you know they have this all this stuff in their house i'm like well that's not food you know that's they that it looks like food it's a food like substance but that's not food and so we start every day with protein that's that's protein animal protein is kind of like the cornerstone of everything um they've been having lately they they've been having eggs with turkey sausage and then mauda makes like um paleo pancakes and and they'll have that with a little bit of honey but for the most part like that's that's how they eat then during the in the middle of the day is coin like the lunch is always the hardest thing um they do a lot of like small lunches you know like turkey and cheese roll-ups, you know, um, some fruit, um, you know, jerky, things like that, biltong. And then, um, and then dinner's just like whatever we eat, you know, like um, yesterday I made venison burgers, uh, regular burgers, venison tenderloin, and, um, and that's what they had. And they, I actually, we did, last night they did have um, some sweet potato fries um, so the boys will have, they'll have some rice here and there. They'll have some, um, they don't really like potatoes, especially Desmond. It doesn't agree with him, but, but sweet potatoes, they, they do well with. 
And, um, and so like, like you said, we don't, we don't keep junk in the house. We don't, uh, condone junk, but then at the same time, we know that if all we do is say no, 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 no to everything they're going, uh, we've seen it so many times where people was like, well, my parents were overly restricted with me. And it was probably also that the parents weren't telling them why we're not eating this. And that's a big part of it is educating them. They're not going to understand at four or five. They're, you know, they're, they're not, but as they, as you continue to get older and obviously as you lead by example, cause that's a very important thing is like, don't tell your kid, um, not to eat this. And then they see you eating this. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's brutal for a kid to see. It's like, oh, I got to be an adult to pig out. Okay, cool. So when I'm an adult, I'm going to pig out, you know? So, um, but we do, we do think it's important for them to, especially, on the social side of things, if they go to a birthday party, you know, like if we have any input at all and the person's like, cool, like which we have a lot of friends who just, we don't ask, but they'll say, Hey, I, I actually got a gluten-free cake or, um, you know, I, I made this cake. It was a recipe. Um, but even then we, we feed them before, you know, birthday parties and events like that, where we know there's going to be junk so that they, and because they're, hunger and satiety signals are very, you know, very sensitive and very good. They are like nine times out of 10, they're not going to just pig out on, on junk food when they have access to it or when they go to these events. And do you kind of like, I mean, you will do as far as allowing it, do you also mm -hmm. educate them about like, <clears throat> maybe like, okay, you're going to go to this birthday party. There's going to be soda there. There's going to be candy. There's going to be cake. Why don't you monitor how you feel afterwards? Like, do you, do you, when you eat this junk food, do you feel better or feel worse? Do you kind of give them that explanation? Because if you just send them off with no education, they're not going to pay any attention to it. But if you kind of plant that seed, they might be like, you know what? I did feel a little crappy after that soda and that cake. Do you do anything like that? Yeah, like I, I don't remember like proactively doing that. Um, but like, number one, they learned pretty early um, that that's the case. You know, I remember like when Desmond was like six or seven, like he went to a birthday party in Miami and we were already here in Tampa. And like I saw him like he he had like like an orange Fanta, cotton candy and pizza, like all within like 10 minutes. And 30 minutes later, he was like, doubled over like in a fetal position on you know and just like crying and he's like why did you let me do this i didn't you know what I, I wish i never ate it and i'm like i'm like dude just remember how you feel man just remember how you feel and you know we from the beginning because this is such a i hate that this in modern day times i know you you hate this too like people do not put two and two together and connect what they're eating with how they feel they just are not taught to do that. They're taught that there's something inherently wrong in their body and they need to take a drug to fix it. You know, like, oh, my body's broken, I gotta fix it. You know, instead of like, oh, I actually, I, I'm eating this crap that's my body's like, what the heck is this? And so um, we were consistently in the aftermath of these things um, saying, this does this, this is why you feel this way. You're bleeding from your nose, your, your eczema, your, these things like that is because of the food that you're eating. And if you, um, you know, the dose makes the poison. If you have it every now and then, maybe it won't hurt. But like, if you have it often, you're going to start feeling different. And the beauty of having children that you're raising from an early point, you know, 
in a way that that their bodies are very sensitive because they they're used to having good stuff is that you know they they are able to see these differences and like i can tell you you know years ago with desmond and dean like you know probably by the time both of them by the time desmond was five or six and then dean by the time he got to five or six they were both already they will tell you honestly you know i feel bad uh, why do you think that is oh it's because i had this i ate this this isn't this you know i didn't i didn't eat i, I noticed that I, I i didn't really eat a lot of meat and then i had a lot of the other stuff and and i don't feel good and that is better than anything because we always say like we don't care if if our kids like the first day that they move in on their own you know they they get themselves some junk and and because we have to be honest with ourselves we do these things you know like we sometimes stay up late and 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 you know treat our bodies like crap and and put crap into our bodies like they're gonna do it too you know like we we want them to make the right decisions but but sometimes they make bad decisions. We're human. We make bad decisions sometimes. But the, the, the most important lesson is like understanding that if I start to feel bad, something in my lifestyle, in my diet has got to change. And having that ability to connect those dots is more powerful than, you know, feeding them the best diet without, like you said, the education and helping them understand like the connection that that food and lifestyle have to your health. Yeah, I totally agree. And we plan on uh, definitely uh, kind of raising our kids the same way. And you have to let kids be kids sometimes, but also that education so that they know exactly why they're feeling that way is going to be a, that's the part where people are missing who are probably a little bit healthy, <clears throat> but then they just let their kids be kids. They're not ever explaining it. So the kid just thinks he feels like crap here and there and doesn't really know what's going on. And so I do want to actually shift gears here for the last uh, little part of the episode as well. I know how much you, uh, you and your family, you're a man of God. And so I want to know if like you um, incorporate your kids in all of your spiritual practices and what kind of effects you think it's had on them. Yeah, man, this one, I, I think I remember, um, I remember early on thinking about this um, because of the, the education side first. So like on the education side, we started to notice that like, okay, we're Christian and we're homeschoolers. And so like, there's going to be Christian homeschooler groups, and then there's going to be more like secular homeschooler groups. And, you know, like we never fit into any of them because then on, on one extreme, we had a group where like they were talking about transgender and things like that at a very young age within the homeschool group. And, you know, just things that I was like, hold up, hold up. I didn't even get a chance to talk about my kid, you know, talk about this with my kid. And then the other side of it was like the Christian side, which, you know, I believe that in the home, it's like the parents' responsibility to, to start to introduce these ideas and not, not let these kids get anything of like substance like that, especially these existential type questions, um, you know, um, from other people. So obviously they're, if we're going to church, they're going to have to go to church, you know, because that's how it goes. But like we have a lot of conversations at home, connecting those dots at home. And so we we have over the years had many conversations about this. Um, you know, the modern day church, obviously, I'm not I'm not happy with it. It's 
it's it does not reflect first of all like the core beliefs of of what i believe which is comes from this book you know like modern religion is, is nothing but traditions and things that aren't even in the book and so like having those conversations with my children asking them about what they believe in and and i remember when especially when they were younger um i really wanted to uh, him to understand that like you know what what i'm doing is basically um it's a personal thing that that i'm doing that it's a personal relationship like we all have like our own journey you know you have to go on your own journey um and and no nothing that you do in life comes from by uh you know just by what what's the word uh when when uh what do you call that like when you when you touch something and it's and it just automatically uh receives what you're doing i'm forgetting what the the term um hmm. uh well basically you, you any anything that you receive any insight that you receive um it's or you know good things or bad things are not going to come from you just being present with the group of people that does that it all is how do you apply about these things in your life how do you think about them and in your life because at the end of the day we are every single person is responsible individually you know um like if i get into like what i believe i'm i i get to that that day of judgment and and i'm like yeah i belong to this church and, and that church and and my pastor said this this and this and yeah but like what did what did you believe well how's your heart what did you do you know like how did you think about these things and so um i pretty much like anything else in life is is trying to get them to apply the things that that we learn there to their life and 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 ask themselves these questions like why why should i believe this um or why do i believe what i already believe you know like did i put that there you know a lot of the times these things are are we have to i i, I tell him you know i tell them both like it's like you know a lot of what we think we believe is not not a, it's not our belief it was put there you know and um and the church has done this because um but the, the world does it as well you know like why do we why is this good why is that good is there such a thing as you know inherently good and inherently bad is there is there objective truth we used to do philosophy fridays um for years there like where we would just basically on fridays cover concepts that were like you know self ownership you know like what is what is property rights what is and and really getting them to ask these questions um because if you don't no matter what it is whether it's 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 a religion or it's a world view uh the child is not going to know why they believe they believe what they believe and when they're first presented with um you know the question that that they never asked themselves either they're not going to be able to answer it and that's going to cause like you know a lot of psychological stuff or um they're just going to automatically change beliefs all over the place because they never truly learned how to ask themselves you know why do i believe what i believe like going back to the education thing if all we teach is one side of history um and you know napoleon said history is a lie agreed upon um and, like 
then we don't teach the other side, we we really lose um, the true understanding of things. And then we start to, you know, everything starts from that first premise, those first principles. What what is good? Is 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 um, are we able to to be moral without acknowledging that there is an actual something that's objectively good and something that's objectively bad? How does that affect the way we um, interact with the world? You know what I mean? And like this postmodern world that we live in, we've gotten away, forget about religion, just we've gotten away from from accepting that there's objective truth and that there's objectively good and objectively bad, and it leads to nihilism. And like we've seen how that affects culture. When when I'm not accountable to anything or anyone higher than me, when I'm just like just an infinite speck, number one, life is meaningless. Number two, <clears throat> I I really why should I be good? Why I, I should protect my own. I should, you know what I mean? Like when there's nothing higher than than myself, and that is like of course what modern what modern education does, what modern society does, like they want to cause fear. They want to make you think that you're not special. They want, and, and that makes you easier to control. That makes it also easier for you to just give in to your base desires and not, not try to pursue something higher, you know, virtue or, or good for the sake of being good. So it's a long, it's a long thing, but like bottom line, I guess the short answer is like, yeah, we do talk about it a lot. It's super important. Friday nights, obviously tonight, um, we, we basically get together, we have dinner, we, we kind of go through like this whole thing where we're like, we're thanking God for the bread on the table, we're, we're thanking God for the, you know, the, the wine that we drink or the tequila that we have, you know, um, and, and we kind of, there's always really good conversations. And, um, and I think families need that, man. It's really cool to see the things that your kids say as they get older, like, it just blows you away when you start to learn, like, how their little minds think, you know? That's amazing. So it, what it, to me, what it sounds like is kids are pretty malleable. And if you just let them learn concepts from whether it's school, church, from you, even you whoever. Even you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yourself, yeah. They'll, they'll swing whatever way because the information is going to sound good to them. From the pastor, from the teacher, from you, it's going to sound more educated than what they know. But if you introduce these kind of questions that make them think about it, make them kind of process it a little bit more, they can kind of understand why and maybe say, well, I don't really like this idea. What about this? Or kind of allows them a little bit more context and way to analyze it instead of just the pastor said this. So this is right. Your teacher said this. This is right. And then they're all over the place because you've never really made them dive deeper on any of the concepts. So you allow these like open-ended questions so that they can kind of try to analyze and process the entire idea that was even given to them. Yeah. And like when they're young, they, they are very focused on pleasing you, you know, that mm. they lose that as they, as they get older. Um, but like, and so like, you have to be, I've always from the beginning, I'm like, listen, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. In fact, like when we did philosophy Fridays, um, if if I say, um, I would say something like, you know, if, if you don't have any questions, we're not done yet. You got to have questions. Like, what are the questions like, <laughs> you know, and and um, so they want to please you. So you, you got to allow them to disagree 
You got to allow them to, to, to ask those questions. You got to get away as much as possible from because I said so, or because whatever. Um, and, and then it's super important too, because the other thing is like, they're going to see people with different views. You know, you don't think your kid is going to be like, well, this person's Buddhist, this person's like Muslim, this person, you know, like, um, you know, I noticed that they do things a little bit different. Why, why are they doing that? You know, um, well, what, why do you think they're doing that? You know, like, um, okay, well, did you know that different places in the world when they're raised in different cultures are going to be, um, are going to, to believe in a different way just because there's different, there's different belief systems, you know? And then again, you could still go back to that question is like, is there an objective truth for everybody? What do you think? You know, these things that these are things that like kids are naturally they want to know about this stuff. I guarantee it. Like if it's not something that you're like, okay, we're going to do a philosophy and a religion class today and and you're going to learn about this, whether you like it or not. No, it's like a lot of the time they have those questions, you know, like, why are they doing this? Like, why didn't you ever tell me about Santa? I'm like, well, buddy, because we don't want to lie to you. And we, we, we like there's there's a there's a benefit of having um, the ability to believe in things that are supernatural and that are um, that are just like out out of our explanations and stuff that 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 is I think that's very important to because as you get older, you realize, wow, consciousness doesn't it's not derived in the brain it's outside of the brain. Where, where is this coming from? This is not a materialistic world that we live in. This is just part of it. And if you do things like Vanna and the Tooth Fairy, you basically introduce these lies that you, the parent that they trust, played along with. And then they find out that you're a liar and it removes that childlike faith that, you know, so many of us need as adults to really help us to make sense of the world and get away from, you know, this nihilism that I was just talking about, like this, this materialistic world where you're just a meat suit you know you're just like you know you, you turn into worms and you're a mistake and somehow you know nothing exploded into everything and and you know like you know fish got on land and what you know all this stuff so um i know i'm ranting but the bottom line is like it's super important to because it helps kids understand other cultures it helps them understand this is why they believe what they believe this is why we believe what we believe and you know it, However you apply that is the most important thing. I'm going to give you my input, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. And more importantly, it's your responsibility. So don't, don't ignore it. Think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like you're, you're, you know, kind of, although they're children, you are kind of raising them a little bit as like young adults, giving them responsibility, making them think critically and, um, as far as like, you know, following libertarian homeschool or some other homeschooling people, that seems to be like a common theme that I hear is like yeah, treating yeah. them like little adults, although they're, you, you know, understanding that they're still children, they're going to do children things. But, you know, giving them the thought processes and a little bit of the responsibility is like what an adult would do so that they're yep. not just willy nilly running around, like you said, leaving stuff everywhere, doing whatever, just free <laughs> roaming, because that's what a kid will do if you don't, you know, yeah. put any construct on it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, age appropriate, obviously, freedom, you know, it, it gets more like they're, they're able to do more. 
as they get older and go further and test their limits, they're, they're, they're going to test their limits. Um, and then um, obviously take risks. But like Anna says, you know, we got this from her. We don't risk life or limb. You know, like if if he's climbing up on a table or he's doing something that that is can potentially hurt himself, both of them, um, we say, look, if you fall from there, it's going to hurt. Or if I have you thought about, you know, what you're doing right now, like this, this is going to be, you know, what happens if you, if this goes down? Like, you know, like I, I don't usually ask. I'm, I'm usually like, hey, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Cool. All right. And as it happens, they trust us. So then they they continue to trust us when we tell them and they'll ask us like, hey, should I do this? And then that trust is super important because I want my children. I've been told like every kind of step along the way they're they're you know, they, they tell us the world tells us specific things that this is what's going to happen. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. And so the next one that we're waiting for is the the phase of their lives when they become teenagers and they turn into pit bulls that automatically turn on us so that's the next one that we're waiting for um we know that it's not going to happen but like in reality that phase is really important because you don't just get there and have the trust of your child to be able to like start to share these more important things with you like you know thinking about you know sex and 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 other more complicated problems, which with Desmond, we had the, the sex talk at like nine or eight, I think it was eight, um, earlier than we thought, because people were starting to ask about it. And he was he was starting to ask about it because he was saying things in the wrong context. So I knew that something was happening that it was being talked about, but it was coming from other kids. And then we basically had to have that conversation. But yeah, if you don't, if you don't from an early age, um, build their trust, and instead of saying, get down, you know, like, like, and always say no, where, where no just becomes like the boy who cried wolf and no is the default. Instead of like really picking your battles and being like, that's really annoying to me, but I'm just going to let that one go because in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big issue. I need to save my nose and my, and my, you know, and my important, like, Hey, you know, for like the, for the real, for the real, like life and death situations, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And if you start saying no and saying hey too too often, then it just becomes repetitive and they don't they don't um think about it in the way that they should. So if you only do it when it's the real deal, life and death situations, then they'll understand when you're being serious and when you're you know, you're really meaningful. Uh I know we're running starting to get a little bit shorter on time. I do uh wanna have one topic that uh I wanna talk about that I is really modern and i think it's i don't know what the right uh advice is on it so i want to see what you guys do around um like do you have any like limitations on like social media technology screens anything like that i i know that's a big one in the modern world dude that's so huge and like um to any parent especially someone like us who was uh um inherently more um more like free roaming this is an area where I like I, I you know, you got to be adamant about it. Like we don't do um, screens at all before lunch. You know, it's just kind of like even on the weekends, you know, you know, definitely not on the weekdays because they're like from like they wake up at about seven and they they don't leave the house until like nine. <clears throat> so they're definitely not doing screens. Um, 
they they don't have video games. We never got them video games. They just in the last year someone gave them an Xbox, and like it took them two months to because they didn't have like controllers. So it took them like two months to make the money to to be able to buy a controller and and also a, a power cord. It didn't have a power cord, and so they play on the Xbox maybe like once or twice a week. Um, they're most of the time outdoors. They're most of the time outside right now. They're in the house on, on Fridays is like a weird day because it's like, we're cleaning the house. Like we want to clean the house, get the house nice. And so we can just relax from tonight until tomorrow night and really just have that time together and not have to worry about it. Just feel good in my house where I'm not feeling like stressed because of the, you know, it's messy. Um, but, um, then like computer screens, they, we only like, if they want to use any of those things, they got to ask me, they got to ask me for my laptop if they want to use my laptop and I'm always most of the time on it. They got to ask my auto for hers. And, um, we basically like at night, I don't have anything concrete yet, but that's an evolving situation because Desmond just got an iPhone. Um, and because like my, my, especially Desmond, like he's 11 years old and, and you're like, dang, that's, that's kind of young. It was way younger than I, to be honest, way younger than I thought I was going to wait. Um, but it's just that like, it's so hard to get in touch with this kid sometimes. Cause he's just out, you know, he's just out, he's out in the next door, like neighborhood, like outside of our gated community. Um, he's just all over the place. And like, we let him, we allow him to do that. Um, and sometimes it's like, man, it's like, where's Desmond? Sometimes he forgets like, dude, you gotta be home in like 10 minutes. We gotta go, you know? And so we, we knew that we had to get him a phone and, um, and also like, he's a very creative person. So he's using, um, cap cut and all these things he, he makes, like he makes making videos and he has his own like Instagram where he's like straight up, you know, making these edits like on anime and things like that. Um, so like it's for him, uh, it's very creative. If it was Dean, uh, it wouldn't be the same because my, my youngest, he, he just honestly, like, I think he really does. If, if he had that, he would just be on it all day and he would get lost in it. Whereas Desmond is like, okay, how am I going to, uh, make a, a greenhouse, you know, like, and he's looking like for how to, you know, um, and that's how we learned how to make the raised garden bed. That's how he, and he's very much like, it's a big creative outlet for him. But even then it's just the screen, the dopamine, it, 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 it's locked into a certain way of learning and consuming information that, that is terrible and if if i was at that age and i started from them I, I wouldn't be the person that i am i guarantee you i guarantee you because you know all the times that i was waking up early um to go to the gym before school started in high school i'd probably be too tired because i'd probably be on my phone until late at night you know what i mean and so um i tell him about that and so like at night um very important like to keep your kids around you you know, like, like if, if he's going to be on the computer or on the phone, you know, if, unless it's a desktop, you know, have them be in the room where you're at that way you as a parent are conscious of the fact that like, okay, he got on at eight. I need to let him be on until about like eight 30 or if it's like seven to eight 30, even if it's an hour and a half total, um, I haven't put any arbitrary, like rules, but I, I would say definitely no more than on like any average day, no more than like an hour max, 
You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and don't, you know, definitely don't introduce it, like push it off as much as possible um, in their age. Like I said, I didn't think I was going to start this at, at, at 11, but the kid is really independent and, you know, his brother's with him all the time. So it's pretty sweet for us to be able to like, let them get on the scooter and go, you know, explore. And then we can, we can text them and we can call them and, and, and we can know where they are and, <laughs> and tell them to come home. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like it is limited, but it is, it's hard now because like what they may do as a profession or what they need to learn is like, yeah, they need true. to know how to yep. use technology. And if they don't, they're going to be behind all the kids who were using technology and learning how to code and doing whatever. So that's definitely like a tough battle. But it, I also heard uh, Paul Check talk about this in a podcast. And he says like, uh, I think it was around an hour. Like he has the na- the in-home nanny because they're all working or whatever. And um, he doesn't allow her to give his youngest one any more than an hour screen time because he notices it starts to get like ADHD or he starts to have like different. Dude, um, it's true. Like, it's he said, like he acts differently if you just let him sit there and watch TV or whatever for two, three, four hours as comparison if they limit it and uh, make him just be more interactive with the family and the nanny and all that. So makes a lot of it a lot of sense to kind of maybe push it off and then like introduce it with like, you know, a little bit of rules and regulations around it. Also, is there a way to like, I'm assuming there's a way you can set up their technology where they can't just look at whatever website they want as well. I'm assuming that's gotta be a thing. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like when they were younger, like there was, there was YouTube kids, but let me tell you, YouTube kids is so freaking um, limited. It really does suck. It's like, it's a little too much, right? But there is like, um, if you, if you get them an iPad or an iPhone, you connect them to your account and basically put screen limits. And if they are on, you can set it as little as 15 minutes and, and at 15 minutes, they're going to come to you and be like, mom, can you, can you give me some more time? You know, and they'll, they'll ask you and you'll give it to them. Um, you know, in fact, like Maura has been intentional for herself. Like she's putting screen limits on herself now because she's, she'll put her head down and she'll wake up and it's like, oh my gosh, it's been an hour, you know? And I didn't even, I thought I was going to do this before I did this. And I just got stuck on this. So, um, so yeah, putting, putting screen limits, um, in like, like in just like that. And then also just, um, let's see with us knowing your child, like with Desmond, like we know that, you know, we tell him things and he just wants to be good, man. This is who he is, dude. Like he's, he's nothing like me when in that sense, he's like me in a lot of things, but me, I'm, you know, Dean's got that side of me where it's guy like, he's got just the automatic like street smarts where he's like, he's just got, you know, when, when things are like where Desmond will blush at certain things, Dean will be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, that's me. That's freaking me. Um, and so like, he has been able to curate his feed on TikTok. Like you open up his TikTok, the minute he sees like, he's not gonna be able to escape it. It's just impossible, like it finds them. Like on YouTube, for example, they um, they watched YouTube on Maura's computer or, or on our TV and they watch it like, um, yeah, they watched it on, on Maura's computer, I think with her account but because of the algorithm changing to reflect the things that they're looking for, they're looking for obviously kid content. 
you know, like things that, that like for Desmond, it's a lot of DIY stuff. It's a lot of like science stuff, you know, things like that. And they would always get this quiz on like a pop-up on like, you know, one of the ads, not in the, the actual player, but on the outside of the player about, are you gay? And, and it's like asking, are you gay? Are you gay? Are you gay? This, this ad. And like me, I'm watching specifically adult content, like that, you know, that a kid's not going to be interested in. And, and I never have gotten that in my life, which is really interesting. It shows like how that is being marketed to kids. It's like an agenda, like, you know, am I gay? I don't know. And then like everyone in my house took the quiz and we, we all apparently are gay. <laughs> um, so like, I, I say that because like, you know, like the, they're going to have stuff that may not agree with, you know, um, with what you personally believe in or, or, or things like that. But then how are they going to handle that? They have to learn how to curate their feed. They have to learn for Desmond. I'm like, listen, if you don't want to see something, click on, I don't want to see this click on, you know, uh, delete. I don't want to see anything like this. And then it starts to, the, the algorithm is smart. It'll give you what you want. Like I'm getting stuff on my feed that like barely is probably going to be shown to anybody, you know, cause I'm, you know, looking at stuff about, you know, what's up there and, and you know, <laughs> what type of place we live on. And, and I know that's not being shown to anybody. So the algorithm is pretty smart in that sense. Obviously it's always going to be censored. It's not going to show everything, but um, you know, they have to learn how to curate their feeds. And, you know, you can easily see by just seeing, opening it up and seeing what's popping up on their feed, what they're looking at. That's kind of the cool thing where um, even Desmond is going to get the odd, you know, thing that's kind of like raunchy or something. But like, if it's everything, then you know exactly what they're looking at. It's like, dude, we, we got to take care of this because we didn't even get to porn. That's a whole thing. But that the average age for that is eight, man. And that, that destroys brains and it destroys people's view of, of what sex is and what relationships are. So, so yeah, man. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right. Well, I know you have a call in a little bit. Uh, I don't want to keep you too, too long. Uh, do you have any last minute, like advice, books, audio, anything that like, uh, parents with newborns or parents with children or like people prepping like me should dive into that are like must haves? Yeah, man, I would definitely, um, first of all, um, Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S.org. Um, that's a, that's a place that has like a lot of free stuff. It tends to be a lot of economics and, um, philosophy, political science stuff, but it also has, I, I bring it up because Murray Rothbard wrote a really good kind of essay called education free and compulsory, like kind of like um, bringing them back and forth. That's a, that's a good one. Um, anything by John Taylor Gatto, uh, John Taylor, G-A-T-T-O, New York City Teacher of the Year, New York State Teacher of the Year. He wrote Weapons of Mass Instruction and Dumbing Us Down and a few other books, but those two are our favorites. And if you look for his video called The Greatest History Lesson, you're either going to find it all in one chunk, which is over five hours, or you're going to find it like in five parts of like an hour each. Highly recommend that more than anything as far as like education goes, because everything that he says is actually um, it's he, he's got re it's referenced and he's calling things at the point of that video. If you've heard him, he's got like lots of talking like he he has speeches from like the 80s and 90s about like 
um, how childhood has been extended way longer than it should be. And you hear him, he's real sharp as a whip. You know, he talks faster. In this video, he's talking slower and, you know, he's just like, he's older. Um, and he passed away, like, I think in 2014 and 2016, which is a freaking shame, dude. He's, he was one of the, the best ones ever. But I just mentioned that because it, it, it covers so much about the history and about what education should be and, and what type of challenges you're going to face. And when you get to like college age, like what are, he's like, he spoke to Princeton and Harvard, like all these people, like, what are they looking for? And it's, it's the opposite of what most people are thinking. Like, you know, people are like, well, you got to have community service and you got to have the best GPA and all that. They go straight to look at, well, how do you spend your free time? What is it that you're doing when you're not, when no one's forcing you to do it? And they look for people who are innovative. They, they, their main thing, if you want to get to a college, like, you know, again, that's, that's, that's changed a lot too. But let's say you wanted to go to Harvard or, or, or Yale or so one of these big Ivy League schools. Um, it's like, are you going to be someone they, they're trying to like, they're like insurance companies. They're trying to figure out the risk here. You know, like, are you going to, are you going to make lots of money to add to our endowment or are you going to be famous to bring us notoriety to get us more people that have lots of money and can add to our endowment? So, um, so that's another one. Um, let's see, um, obviously, uh, Anna, anything by Anna, like if you look at the libertarian homeschool the Libertarian Homeschooler Facebook page is going to be um, better than the Instagram because it's like that's where it started and that's where she posted a lot of her, um, you know, her her like like her stuff, just like what a day to day stuff is. And Maura has a bunch more, but like I would definitely say and you should you can have Maura on. I'll, I'll tell her because um, she'll she'll be able to rattle off things off the top of, of her head. Um but there's there's definitely a lot of stuff. Maria Montessori definitely reads stuff by her. Um, and then as far as parenting goes, I'll just add a few there. Um, Free Range Kids um, by Lenore Skenazi is uh, an amazing book, like, you know, showing how throughout um, the last several decades, we've, we've kind of basically kept our, brought our kids into the chicken coop, uh, so to say, like, instead of like having them free range, um and uh what else is this um last child in the woods i believe is another is the name of another one last child in the woods talk it's very similar concept about letting them be outside giving them freedom and i mean there's so many awesome books um and there's so much information out there that people can actually look into if they're curious you know so yeah there's there's lots of stuff if anybody's listening to this um, and they want more, please DM me on Instagram or, or email me hello at fatfield.family and we can, we can recommend a bunch of more stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending your time talking about an important concept with parenting. Um, you already kind of gave a little bit of your email and stuff there. You want to let everyone know where else they can find you on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, man. Instagram, dannyvega.ms. And then our website is uh, www.fatfueled.family. Uh, awesome, man. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thanks, brother. Yep. Later, brother. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, 
or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at integrative Matt until next time, my friends. Thank you.